So the holiday season is upon us. Thanksgiving has passed and next Sunday begins the season of Advent, the season in which we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ in the world and in our hearts. It's a wonderful, joyful time of year, but unfortunately about a thousand years ago, the church in its wisdom decided that this season should be celebrated with five consecutive weeks of readings about the second coming. I would love to pretend that these texts don't exist or at least put all this stuff off to February or March or that week in August when no one's here, (laughs) but here we are. And I often find that it's the texts that we most want to skip over that end up being the richest and the most important. So bear with me for a few minutes and let's see what we can find in this text about the last judgment. In this part of Matthew, Jesus is about to go to Jerusalem to be crucified and he's been teaching that he is the Messiah come to earth. In this section, he begins to teach that at the end of time, he will come again. There'll be a second coming. And that same Messiah will return to earth in glory, surrounded by angels, revealed as the ruler of heaven and earth. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. He goes on to say that those at his right hand will go on to their reward, eternal life in the presence of God, and those on Jesus's left will go to eternal fire. Happy holidays, everyone. (laughs) I would imagine that most of us feel uncomfortable with the vision of a God of judgment and with the idea that Jesus puts people in boxes and labels, one of the boxes good and the other one bad. But here's the interesting thing. While I read these texts and I get anxious and disturbed, much of Jewish and Christian history, people thought that the coming of God to judge the world was good news. In the Hebrew Bible, this is what the prophets pray for. They beg God to come down to tear open the heavens and judge the people. The great prayer of the early church was the single word, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Everyone was praying for the second coming to be as soon as possible. They found it comforting because they were suffering the time of Jesus, people were oppressed, sometimes enslaved. They lived in a world before clean water and good medical care. Life was tough and they were hurting. And to them, there was nothing comforting about the idea of a non-judgmental God, a God who sort of stood back and observed from afar. They wanted God to get God's hands dirty to step in and help them, to choose the side of those that were suffering and to set things right. For them, the last judgment was not about condemning some and rewarding others. It was about Jesus finally coming to earth to set things right, to set them free. 
I've mentioned this in a sermon before, but it made a big impression on me. I never understood why scripture talked about a judgmental God until I was talking to a friend who had a very painful childhood. And I asked her how in the world she'd gotten through it, and particularly how in the world she'd gotten through it with her faith intact. And she said, it's simple. What got me through was belief in a judgmental God. She had faith throughout her childhood that God was not in heaven and indifferent to what was happening to her. No, she believed that God was angry at the people that were supposed to take care of her who weren't, and that God was angry at a world that had allowed it to happen. We talk about the last judgment because we believe that Jesus stands for something. Jesus doesn't look down with indifference at people who are hurting, people who are sick, people who are beat up by life. Jesus isn't impartial. Jesus takes a side, and it is the side of love, the side of compassion, of justice, the side of those who are vulnerable and weak, the side of people who are hurting. That's what was comforting to my friend in her childhood about a judgmental God. And that's why the early church saw these texts about judgment as comforting. They wanted us to read them over the holidays. Some of us might believe that one day history will end and Jesus will come again and take the side of those that are hurting and set the world right. Others believe that the second coming is not some future event, but rather something that happens every day as Jesus comes into our hearts to draw near to the parts of us that are loving and compassionate and to work to eliminate the parts of us that resist God's presence. I believe both. But I think the important thing to take away from these texts about judgment is that Jesus doesn't look at our broken world with indifference. Jesus takes a side. And it is the side of the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, the foreigner, the one who's in prison. And so if we want to meet Jesus, we had better be found on that side as well. The text is meant to comfort us if we're hurting, to remind us that when we are suffering, God is resolutely with us. God is willing to get his hands dirty. But it's also meant to scare us a little bit. That's what the part about the eternal fire is there for, to get our attention. Because it's there to scare us and to remind us that if we want to be in the presence of God, we need to go where God can be found. And it's not among the happy and healthy. It's not among the comfortable. God is a God of love and mercy and acceptance. That's the witness of our scripture, of our tradition. That's the God we meet here in worship in this community, in the Eucharist. That's the God I've experienced in my own life. We are loved and accepted by God without condition, no matter what we do, no matter what mistakes we've made. God is love. And we can trust that we will not arrive at the last judgment and be disappointed. We won't discover that God is less loving or less forgiving than we'd hoped. We can trust that Jesus will go as far as it takes to rescue every single goat. But between now and then, 
we need to remember that God has taken a side. Abraham Lincoln famously warned that our nation should spend less time claiming that God is on our side and more time worrying about whether or not we are on God's side. That's still good advice. We know that God's side is with those that are hurting. And if we want to find God, we will find God among the poor and the suffering, on the streets, in prison, in the hospital. And if God feels far away from us, it might be that we're not hanging out in the right places. I have to be honest, most days I fail to hang out in the places where God has promised to be. And it's not for lack of opportunity. There's a lot of need right here in our community. St. John's and a hundred other organizations offer a lot of ways to seek God through service with the poor. I have a million excuses, but it still doesn't quite happen. And so as we enter this Advent season, my prayer for myself is the same as my prayer for St. John's. And it's also my prayer for Elizabeth and for Poppy as they grow older. And my prayer is this, that we will take a side. Not a political side, not a side in an argument, but a side in life. The side of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the person in prison, because that is where we will find Jesus. Amen.